No matter if the economy is up or down, healthcare careers continue to grow, especially in management. Stevenson University Online's Master's in Healthcare Management can put your career on a new track, especially for career changers with previous business, HR, or technology backgrounds. Discover new opportunities with our Healthcare Management Master's. No GREs, no application fees, and 100% online. Visit online.stevenson.edu slash healthcare management. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, founder of the GK Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope that you'll subscribe to this channel and give us a five-star review. You have no idea how much this helps us. Also, if you'd like to watch the full version of the show, you can join our plugged-in membership. For only $10 a month, you'll get access to the live stream and full video versions of our shows, the recordings from the Destroy Social Justice Conference, online access to our book, Social Injustice, our weekly devotional, 30% off in the GK store, and so much more. Please visit gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in for more information and to sign up. Thank you for your support. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. When you should be out there winning people for Jesus, right? Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, really excited to have you guys all joining us here today. Uh, before we get started with today's show, just wanted to let you guys know uh, about our membership program that we do have here at the GK. Uh, you get exclusive access to some really cool perks like uh, the Destroy Social Justice Conference that we put on, the recording of that. You get 30% off over in the GK store and a lot of other really cool uh, added perks and that sort of thing. Go to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in for more information on that. Uh, really excited about today's guest. We've got, uh, we've got Dr. Andy Woods joining us. I believe this is your, I believe this is your third time now on, on conversations with Jeff, but welcome back and glad we wow. can sit down today. Yeah, that means I should be granted tenure, I guess. I, I, th- I think so. <laughs> I think, I think that's technically the rule here. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I'm really glad to have you back on. And I feel like too, there, there's so much going on in the world that, you know, as Christians, it's like we're trying to figure out, okay, what do we actually do? Because I think, I feel like everything is getting blurred together and it's getting harder and harder to kind of discern what's reality and what's true and what's not. Well, um, I feel that way too. <clears throat> I feel like uh, we've been hit with three crises. Uh, the first is 
And these are not just little things. These are like the biggest things that have ever happened in my <clears throat> lifetime. Um, COVID-19 uh, and all the implications there. Um, the second is all of these riots, you know, that have broken out all over the country. And, you know, people uh, not really respecting the sovereignty of the United States and wanting to have their own little whatever, you know, in Seattle, <laughs> their own country, I guess. I I don't think they would have done that if Ronald Reagan was the president. But And then the third thing is the, uh, a Supreme Court that really just could care less about the Constitution and just lost the culture war for us, you know, a week ago. So America's been hit with three biggies, we could put it that way. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, and I think one of the interesting things too about it is seeing how, seeing how the church has really responded to, to like the coronavirus crisis, the Black Lives Matter, you know, you know, craziness that's going on. Um, and even the Supreme Court to a certain degree, but you know, like I know even with the coronavirus thing, it's been, it's been interesting seeing how a lot of these prominent pastors have been responding and, you know, some are going hardcore, you know, interpretation of Romans 13, like, well, we have to submit no matter what they say. And then the question is, which form of the government do we submit to? Do we submit to Trump? Do we submit to the local government? All that kind of stuff. How do we decipher even just like Romans 13 when the government's telling us to do one thing and we're like, okay, who do we even submit to? Stevenson University Online is a leader in forensic education for law enforcement, legal, and cyber investigations. If you are preparing for career advancement or career change, investigate our online master's programs in forensic science, CSI, forensic accounting, forensic investigations, and cybersecurity and digital forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead in career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Hey, Jeff Dornick here. Wanted to let you know about our first book that we published called Social Injustice. We brought together 12 different authors, each tackling a different aspect of social justice and comparing everything with scripture. Whether you want to know more about white privilege, income inequality, LGBTQ issues, illegal immigration, or even just the history of the movement, this book is for you. With authors such as Dr. Andy Woods, Brandon Howes, Thomas Littleton, Dr. Mike Spaulding, Pastor Ken Peters, and all of the GK guys, this is definitely a must-have for your reading list. We are also honored to have the great conservative voice Michael Massey write the foreword to this book. Head on over to gatekeepersonline.com slash store to order your copy of the book and use code Jeff at checkout for 10% off. That's gatekeepersonline.com slash store and use the code Jeff at checkout. Now, back to the show. Well, <laughs> with this current crop of uh, evangelical leaders... I don't think if they had been alive during the time of the um, American Revolution, I don't think we would have had an American Revolution, <clears throat> let alone won the American Revolution. So I don't know. It's just a product of the last oh, century of humanistic propaganda. You know, the humanists told us we're going to take over the public schools. 
and we're, uh, uh, his name was uh, Potter, I think his last name was Potter, said, we're going to take over the public schools and we're going to use the public schools to indoctrinate the next generation into humanism, away from biblical theism. And there's not a thing you can do to stop it, because once we take control of the public schools, then what can the theistic Sunday school teachers, meeting an hour a week, you know, do to stem the tide of uh, all week long humanistic indoctrination? And he made that statement in 1932. And if there's anything we uh, don't learn from history is we don't really learn to take people seriously when they come out and say stuff like that. You know, what if we had taken seriously Mein Kampf? I mean, a lot of lives could have been saved. So anyway, this has been going on for a long time. And so now, you know, as the Bible says, you've sown to the wind. Now you're reaping the whirlwind. We have a whole generation right now that does not understand freedom. Uh, they don't understand inalienable rights, and they just um, are almost um, cheering, it almost looks like, to give up one right after the other. And this is happening, you know, within evangelical circles. And so it's it's just tragic to see what's taking place. Yeah, well, you know, like, you know, and, you know, I know we've talked about guys like, uh, like John MacArthur in previous shows, oftentimes dealing with like Calvinism and Lordship Salvation and all that kind of stuff. But I know he's, he kind of made news with his, with what he was, with what he was saying in his submission via Romans 13 to the government of, you know, when President Trump came out and, and encouraged all the churches to, you know, open back up. You know, Grace Grace announced, okay, we're going to open up on Sunday, and then the next day on Saturday, they're like, well, the local government said no, so we're not, so we're not going to open up, and they were kind of going back and forth on that, and so then now, even out here in California, we've got a bunch of churches still not meeting because of all the different rules and regulations. So it's been what three months, four months of not meeting for church. So it's like, do do we submit under this kind of stuff? Do we not? Like, what are we actually supposed to do? Well, with the John MacArthur thing, you know, here you have a, a, a president that did something that I've never seen in, in my lifetime, uh, where he just stood in the gap for the churches. And he basically, you, you remember the speech, he said, go back to church next Sunday. And the Constitution, you know, makes the federal government the supreme law of the land. And so I was thrilled, and we, we went back to church at our church. We still have to operate by certain guidelines, you know, put out by local government. But, um, you know, we went back to church and we were happy to do it. And I was just shocked that the rest of the country didn't. And I I was just sort of shocked like uh, a big church and a big name like John MacArthur would acquiesce to some puny local official. Uh, when the the president of the United States, you know, the leader of the United States said, go back to church. So I don't know. It's almost like they're looking for an excuse, you know, not to go back to church. And if everybody wants a sign, I mean, if that wasn't a sign from God to go back to church where the president says, go back to church, um, I don't know what is. And, you know, that's an interesting question about civil disobedience i mean was john MacArthur engaging in civil disobedience when he disobeyed trump you know if he wants to play the civil disobedience card we can play that two ways so i don't know the whole thing is just mystifying to me and i we just have a a gen you know if again if this generation had been alive at the time of the american revolution there wouldn't have been one let alone would we have 
been victorious in it because the the, the teachings. And I have a book. I'm looking over there to my left on my bookshelf. It's about a thousand pages, and it's only volume one. And the title of it is uh, "Patriotic Sermons from the Colonial Clergy." And those guys were teaching politics and freedom and inalienable rights. In fact, I would argue. And Calvin Coolidge said this. He said, the people that put together our Constitution and Declaration of Independence, like Thomas Jefferson, got their whole idea from listening to sermons in the colonial era. Because I've had people come to my church and, and kind of complain that you're, I teach too much on politics. And I usually just show them a copy of that book. And I show them that the stuff I say is pretty mild, you know compared to what they were saying back in the day. And so we just don't, we don't have that today from our pulpit. We have this kind of limp, limp-wristed, sort of weak need, you know, bow to government at the slightest uh, resistance that they send our direction. So if I've got to choose between the president and some wimpy local person, I'm going to acquiesce to the local person on the grounds of Romans 13 when in reality, they're actually breaking Romans 13 because they're disobeying the highest law of the land. Anyway, those are my random thoughts. Yeah. Well, well, so. you know, but sh- sh- so I, I think one of the, one of the debates that's going on within Christianity right now is this idea of should the church be fighting for freedom and liberty? Should the church be fighting for like constitutional rights? You know, like again, I, I grew up in the very, uh, you know, like again, John MacArthur crowd and all that kind of stuff where, you know, it was, we don't fight for our rights and was almost it was almost this mentality of we should welcome communist china type things because the church in china is flourishing and you know and so then then they look down on people that are like no you know we got to fight for our rights fight for our freedom all that kind of stuff how do we wade those waters of do we get involved in politics do we fight for our rights our constitutional rights that sort of thing or do we just say put our hands up and just say nope bring on the persecution this is how we you know further the church well you know from those colon- from those colonial sermons our forebears you know put into print the idea of unalienable rights or inalienable rights and if you look at the etymology of that alienable you'll see the word lean in there like if i have a lien against your property you know you really don't own the property i own the property and if you sell it the proceeds go to me so when they said unalienable rights what they're saying is rights without a lien you know attached to them because they come from god and because our forebears were preaching this and uh, our founding fathers were listening. They put it in, into the force of uh, the Declaration of Independence, later the Constitution, later the Bill of Rights. And so that is our heritage in America. We have rights that have no lien attached to them because they come from God. And because they come from God, man cannot take them away. So I think it was John Adams you know, that talked about how there is no, uh, I mean, because our rights come from God, they come from the great, what he called the super legislature in the sky, a divine super legislature that man can't take away. 
So I'm sorry, but those rights are ours, regardless of any pandemic or plandemic or pandemonium or plandemonium. I mean, they didn't say, okay, these rights are yours unless we have a major disease or catastrophe. So, you know, I get the fact that this is new to us medically and everybody's afraid of, you know, it being contagious and we have to pay attention to the science available. But we also have to understand that no government entity has a right to take away what we have. And, you know, this idea that I'm just going to submit to unjust tyranny on account of Romans 13 I mean, to me, that's a violation of Romans 13 because you're disobeying the Declaration of Independence, uh, which tells us that our rights come from God. And as you know, once government takes a right away, they never, they rarely do they ever, I mean, it's almost slim to none and slim just left town, so to speak, that you'll ever get that right back. So I think we ought to work with the science as much as we can, but we ought to stand up for our unalienable rights as part of our heritage. That, by the way, comes to us from the Bible. Stevenson University Online is a leader in forensic education for law enforcement, legal, and cyber investigations. If you are preparing for career advancement or career change, investigate our online master's programs in forensic science, CSI, forensic accounting, Forensic Investigations, and Cybersecurity and Digital Forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead in career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, co-founder of the American Conservative Movement. We are an organization seeking to unify conservatives across this great country to defend our constitutional rights that are being systematically stripped away by our authoritarian government. Please visit AmericanConservativeMovement.com and join the thousands of conservatives across this country who have signed up for our email list. Let's take back our country. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think, and I think one of the one of the other issues, and you you had mentioned it too in the, in the very beginning, was all of this. You know, the Black Lives Matter, you know, riots and protesting and and all that kind of stuff that's going on. And you know, and again, we're seeing a lot of evangelical leaders that seem to be you know lending lending credibility and their support to Black Lives Matter and, and all of that. Um, what what's your kind of position on on all of that? Are, are the, are the, are the protests valid? Are they not? Is Black Lives Matter, you know, a, val- a valid thing to be supporting? Well, Black Lives Matter is a communist group. And the, the, I just read something today where there was an interview with one of the leaders. You probably saw the headline 
same headline I saw, that they're acknowledging that they're communists, they're Marxist. I mean, we know, we even knew before that that George Soros, you know, gave a gave and gives a sizable amount of money to Black Lives Matter. We know that Black Lives Matter is anti the modern state of Israel. So, I mean, you, you want to, you know, what does the Bible say? Come out from among them and be separate. I mean, you get a, a pastor that wants to cooperate with the Black Lives Matter agenda. You're cooperating with a communist, Marxist, anti-God, anti-Jew, anti-Israel perspective. And that, that whole mindset makes zero sense to me at all. Why any any Anybody that claims to be a biblicist in any sense would cooperate with uh, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, the premise of the whole thing is America is structurally racist, which it is not. Uh, Heather McDonald has all the statistics about all the police departments and how there's maybe bad actors, just like you have many where, and individual racists, just like you have many where. That doesn't mean everything is structurally biased or racially biased from top to bottom. Yet that's the argument that they're making. They're basically saying burn down the American plantation because the whole thing is structurally racist from its core. And of course, there are sins in American history related to race. And I don't know of any country that has done more to atone for those sins than the United States. I mean, you look at all of the Union white lives that were lost in the Civil War. I googled that once. The number is about 300,000 Union uh, white lives lost in the Civil War to eradicate slavery. You look at the Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, and then you look at how we changed our Constitution lawfully through the amendment process, which isn't easy to do. Uh, three times. You've got the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And then when the Jim Crow situation continued, we passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, bipartisan. And then Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, you know, has transferred probably about $5 trillion uh, from, from one race to another. And some of the thinking on that might be a little fuzzy, but the reality of the situation is when you look at history, there isn't a country that's done more to fix any you know, racist sins of its past than the United States. And it's like Black Lives Matter. Uh, they're still fighting the Civil War. They're acting like we're all, you know, that the country is still structurally racist. And so their idea is just burn the whole thing down, burn down the American plantation uh, Brandon House and myself did a couple of radio shows on that, and that document we believe was written by Bill Ayers, you know, the weather ground, uh, uh, weather, excuse me, weather underground terrorist. So that's Black Lives Matter for you, and why why someone that's an evangelical would want to cooperate with that mindset on so many different fronts? It's 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 a mystery to me. Yeah. Come out from among them and be separate. Don't be unequally yoked. Sorry for filibustering. No, no, it's it, you know, it, it's it's it was really interesting because I saw I saw a video by I think it was Matt Chandler and he was talking about a lot of this and he was saying that these riots and us needing to support Black Lives Matter is our inheritance for our white privilege that have gone on over the years and just this weird kind of like mentality and justification for. 
uh, supporting the protests and the riots and that sort of thing. Now, I mean, is is this something where it's like, as Christians, we should be countering and saying, like, no, the system is not systemically racist. Do we acknowledge, you know, the you know the stories and the experiences that people are trying to share and things like that? How do, how do we do this on, let's say, more of a personal level? Uh, with you know brothers and sisters in Christ that may be black that are that are supporting Black Lives Matter. Well, I think you know when you tell a black person that you can never get ahead because there's an invisible force holding you down, despite the fact that we elected Obama two times in this country. I mean, why would we elect a black man president, you know, duly elected if this is a systemically racist country? You know, Oprah Winfrey is a billionaire. And how could that have happened in a systemically racist country? And I think what we need to tell people, particularly uh, racial minorities, particularly Christian racial minorities, is this is the freest, uh, most... um, independent uh, a, a country most prosperous country that you could ever be involved in and you could go right to the top you know depending on your work ethic and your talents and there there's absolutely nothing holding you back and so if you give them, if you give people that message then they they assert themselves but when you tell them there's some kind of invisible force holding them back and no matter what they do they're always going to be held back uh, then why try? And I think that is destructive to people. And so when Matt Chandler and all these people get involved with this issue, um, I think what he's doing is he's doing a lot more harm, you know, a lot more damage than he, than he is good. Because think about it, if the man is always, the man, the, the white business owner, whoever is always holding you down, there's, there's no need to even try. But, there are very, you know, there's a lot of very articulate black people like Candace Owens and Larry Elder. Uh, one of my heroes in the legal world is Clarence Thomas. Uh, we can throw into the mix uh, Walter Williams, uh, Thomas Sowell. I mean, any any number of them. There's a, there's there's a ton of them out there who who would say the exact same thing I'm saying. But the problem is when we say it, they don't listen to us because they think we're giving a white person's perspective and we don't really understand their plight. But when they say it, you know, it's different. And I think that's why conservative blacks, you know, are so hated. Um, But I think their message is what needs to be heard. Um, I don't know. So, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think too, like like a, a distinction when it comes to when it comes to a lot of this is that where where a lot of these riots are happening, where a lot of the uh, a lot of the claimed injustice is being claimed, is in these leftist cities and leftist states yeah. like California, and New York, and Seattle, and in Chicago, and all these places. And so, if there is systemic oppression, if there is systemic racism, it seems to me like it it's coming from the leftist, you know big government, you know, um, you know, overbearing regulations and laws and all that kind of stuff that's making it more difficult to get out of poverty than it is in the free places like like let's say like a Texas or something like that where, you know, you don't have as many regulations and that sort of thing. So it, yeah. it, that is an interesting, you know, perspective to look at too. Well, you know, when I when this whole George Floyd thing hit and let's come out on the record, we all agree that 
that there was a terrible injustice perpetrated against that man and the people that were involved in that you know need to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law everybody agrees with that right uh, the problem is they're using this as a basis to say all of America is that way. And that's their basis for burning down the American plantation and replacing it with something else. And that's where they're fitting into the hands of Marxists. I mean, Marxists have always taught that, haven't they? That one group is exploiting another group. Uh, what did Karl Marx say? Workers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. This is how they've toppled you know, Saul Linsky taught, taught this. That's how you topple any civilization you want to replace with a Marxist paradigm is you go into that society and you find an existing tension and you rub it raw and you make it worse than it is. And that's where America is vulnerable because America has had this issue with race, you know, in the past. And so there's this ongoing resentment and so, you know, basically they're told that one class, the white people, are exploiting another class, the black people. And so rise up and demand reparations, you know, which is a code word for wealth redistribution. And so, you know, evangelicals that promote that are really just becoming nothing more than useful idiots, you know, for the Marxist revolution. But what I was going to say is when this whole George Floyd thing hit, you know, the immediate um, – news that I received, I was given the impression that it was white Christian Republicans, you know, that did this to George Floyd. Well, then you look at the facts and you see that this happened in a Democrat district, Democrat city council, uh, Democrat state. And so, you know, if they're fighting uh, racial exploitation and all of these kinds of things, you know, they re- they really should be fighting the the Democratic Party. And by the way, as, as you know, the Democratic Party is the party of the Ku Klux Klan. The Republican Party is the party of Lincoln. So everybody's got their, you know, if you want to burn down the American plantation, you want to destroy all vestiges of racism, then maybe we should start talking about the Democratic Party. Uh, so everybody's history is lopsided. And... You know, really what what's happening is they want to use this as an excuse to say the whole country is this way. So let's destroy it and replace it with something else. And that's where they're becoming useful idiots for Marxists. Yeah. Who who have pursued this narrative in other cultures, you know, for a long time. Yeah. Well, and, and it really it really does seem like like the left really obviously they've got the mainstream media, so they're able to really control the narrative and all of that. But one of the things that they've really gotten the public to really understand or at least believe is this idea that, yes, the Republican Party used to be the party of Lincoln and the Democratic Party used to be the party of the KKK. But then somewhere around the 60s or 70s, it switched. And all of a sudden, the Republicans became the racist and the Democrats became the party of the minority. Um, what's the what's the reality when it, when it comes to that that sort of thinking? Well, I think it was Lyndon Johnson, and I think this comes out in some of the Dinesh D'Souza movies that he's made. I guess he's coming out with another one in August. Uh, I just learned today. But, you know, it has to do with the great society and basically getting a whole generation of people 
uh, by and large addicted to social programs. And if you can do that, then they'll, they'll vote for whoever's increasing those programs every single time. And so it was, it was a genius move, you know, politically, but, you know, it largely destroyed, I believe, an entire people group in our country, you know, because after all, why should I get married when I can just continue to have kids out of wedlock and the government keeps giving me more and more money, you know, each additional child I have. So it, it gives you no incentive to live according to the rules of society, work hard, and to get ahead. And so ever since that point in time, for whatever reason, you know, one racial group in the United States thinks the Republicans are out to get them because Republicans historically have been against some of these great society programs, but the Democrats are there to help them. And historically, that hasn't been the case. Uh, it was the Democrats that gave gave us the Jim Crow South and also the KKK, and it was the Lincoln Republicans that actually freed, you know, freed the slaves, but because as you go down through the course of time, you know, 1950, 1960, the Republicans haven't gotten one of the great society, same way the Democrats wanted it, the narrative got flipped, and they think that it's the Democrats that are their friends and the Republicans that are their enemies, when historically the opposite is true. And in fact, the very programs that you're receiving money from are destroying the family structure, you know, within your own within your own group and, and people. So, you know, it's a tragic thing that's happened. And I'm not the best person to talk about it because, well, there goes Whitey again. You have a white man's perspective, but there are, you know, some extremely articulate voices, uh, African-American voices that'll tell, tell people the exact same thing. And their, their words have more effect than mine would have yeah. and yours would have. Right. Well, and, and I think that, that that's also an important thing that I think that we also need to understand as well is that oftentimes when, not oftentimes, almost all the time, when the left are using a particular word or phrase or something like that, they're using it because that's something that should be unifying, but then they change the meaning or they change the definition or something like that. And that's, that's one of those things with like Black Lives Matter, I think, is, you know, it, Black Lives Matter should be a unifying statement in the sense of like nobody's going to deny that Black Lives Matter. But right. the thing is, is that when you actually look at the stated platform of BLM on their actual website, I mean, that's some stuff that that's like anti-God, anti-Christian ideology mm-hmm. trying to completely dismantle everything it is that we stand for and believe in. And I think that that's the da- that's really the dangerous part of Christians supporting a movement like that. Stevenson University Online is a leader in forensic education for law enforcement, legal, and cyber investigations. If you are preparing for career advancement or career change, investigate our online master's programs in forensic science, CSI, forensic accounting, forensic investigations, and cybersecurity and digital forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website, 
at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Yeah, it's 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 like um, Planned Parenthood. I mean, what a uh, innocuous sounding name. But you, when you actually get in what get into what they want, abortion on demand, government subsidized, and how they intentionally go into black areas to eradicate the black race, and that comes right out of the mouth of Margaret Sanger, who made you know basically racist statements about blacks called them weeds and you know all of these kinds of things and actually if the photos aren't lying to me i've seen some photos of her making speech if assuming it's not a doctored photo you know this day and age with all the internet stuff you don't know if the photo has been doctored or not but i've seen pictures of her you know giving uh presentations in her day in front of clan members that are you know fully fully uniformed with sheets and and everything else so you know how many people know that history most don't and so they you know they they take something that's racist and like what you just said they put a new label on it and people can't recognize it as racist but Planned Parenthood is one of the most racist organizations that are, that's ever existed i'll tell you i'll tell you some someone else that gets a free pass on this racism issue is charles darwin uh you look at the title of his book and most people don't even know the full title of it the origin of the species is the title and the subtitle that sometimes gets clipped out of editions is the preservation of the favored races now, doesn't that sound doesn't that sound a little racist? And it was Darwin that taught that whites are superior intellectually to blacks because whites have have evolved further than blacks. Blacks are a little closer to the monkeys than whites are in terms of the evolutionary spectrum. And does that not constitute the philosophical basis for racism? In fact, when you watch the movie um, uh, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed by Ben Stein that came out a few years ago, uh, probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years now, uh, he makes the point that that's the same argument that Adolf Hitler, Hitler used related to the Jews, you know, that they were not as evolved as the Aryan race. Now, people like you and, and me who believe the Bible – can't believe that because we believe on page one that all beings genesis 1 27 regardless of race bear god's image and we don't believe in evolution so everybody wants to tear down all these statues how come they're not tearing down charles darwin's statue you know how come they're not tearing down uh the the racist uh 
underpinnings of the Democratic Party? How come uh, Margaret Sanger, you know, gets a free pass? Well, the reason all of those groups get a free pass is all of these people are not interested in tearing down racist history. They're interested in tearing down American history because the whole goal is to topple an existing society and replace it with something else more akin to their own worldview, which would be, you know, socialism, communism, and Marxism. And that can't happen unless you first develop in people a disdain for the culture that currently exists. And what better way to do that than to argue that the whole thing is a genocide culture from its roots? Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. I f- I'm feeling like kind of to a certain degree, we kind of need to start the hashtag, you know, cancel Darwin, uh, you know, at this point. Um, <laughs> do it. I'll sign up for that. There, there we go. Well, well, you know, you know, and, and I think, I think the, the interesting thing is too is that, you know, what what's really crazy to me is how you know Christianity often gets painted as a bunch of like white supremacists, you know, like we're out of touch from the black community and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like you were explaining in Genesis, it's like you know, well, we believe that we're all equal because we were all created at the exact same time. We see in the New Testament, Paul Paul was writing, Paul was writing, I believe, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, we're all one in Christ. You know, like it's 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 literally written into the Word of God. And, you know, that we should not be, you know, that there is no such thing as racism in the sense of like, there's no different classes, there's no different hierarchy, anything like that. But for whatever reason, the left has been able to control the narrative in even mm-hmm. within the evangelical circles. And that to me is the really scary thing. Yeah, I, there's a book, you can find it online. It's called The Bible Against Slavery. And it was written during the slavery era. And it was written by a biblicist. And he was using Bible verses, you know, to argue against slavery. And I don't know, it's like our whole history as Christian abolitionists against slavery has been wiped out. I mean, I guess people have never heard of William Wilberforce. You know, there's even a movie about William Wilberforce and how William Wilberforce used his position uh, in Parliament uh, as an evangelical Christian to argue against the slave trade. And it's a story of his perseverance after being defeated legislatively several times. Towards the end there, he finally got the thing abolished. And he spent his life trying to do this because of his understanding, you know, of the Bible. And I know that there's, uh, I can't remember the fellow's name, it'll, it'll come to me in a second, but, you know, there's certain Bible versions where, they argue, you know, that the black race is the, uh, 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 let's see, his last name is Dake, uh, uh, Jennings Finnis Dake or Finnis Jennings Dake, one of the two, Dake, Dake Study Bible. And there's some good stuff in that Bible, but unfortunately, he argues there, you know, that the black race was the cursed race of Ham and all of that stuff. By the way, that, that came out in the movie Mississippi Burning you ever saw that and so people think well if you believe the bible that somehow you're in favor of slavery well that's not historically what biblicists have believed like william wilberforce and you know even beyond that everybody would acknowledge that what he dake was doing there you know with the cursed race of ham is a perversion of what the biblical text says I mean, if you want to know what the Bible says, it says all of all of us are made in God's image. No 
color a different pigmentation in the skin is more highly evolved than another. That's anti-biblical. So everywhere the Bible has gone, you know, it's always put into the ground the seeds that would destroy the institution of slavery. People always say, well, well, Paul, it says, Paul says, you know, slaves submit to your masters. Well, um, let's think about that for a minute. I mean, that was the culture of the day. Paul wasn't advocating that. He was saying this is a cultural reality, and here's how you're to act in the midst of it. And I think Paul, in the back of his mind, understood that the more his message went out, the more the philosophy would be put in place that would destroy that institution, you know, one day. Yeah. What? I mean, if you, if you look at how Paul does things, like in Acts 19, when he goes into Ephesus and there's the idol makers there, he doesn't go on a campaign against the idol makers. He doesn't start a boycott. What he does is he spreads the gospel, and people get saved in droves. You can see it all in Acts 19 on his third missionary journey. He was in Ephesus, I think, around three years. Only two two of the three in the school of Tyrannus uh, teaching. But he was there for three years, and all these people started getting saved. And as they got saved, guess what they didn't want anymore? They didn't want uh, their idols, and so he indirectly drove them out of business. And I think that's Paul's thought pattern on on slavery. I think he knows that as the gospel gets spread, you know, the institution would become obsolete. But Paul did say, "Slaves submit to your masters," and I, I just want to make the point that he wasn't advocating slavery. He was just acknowledging its cultural reality, and I think in the back of his mind he knew that it was antithetical to biblical truth and it would be destroyed one day. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, in, in Christian civilizations. Right, right, absolutely. And, and I think and I think that one one of the other, you know, aspects when it comes to, you know, slavery in the Bible and things along those lines, especially when you're dealing with the Old Testament, you know, when you're dealing with like Leviticus and they're describing, you know, the laws regarding it. The the interesting thing there was that, you know, obviously there was the, you know, you know, after I believe it was after six years or after seven years that you could actually be freed unless you chose to stay on for, for the rest of your life. But the other side of it is that it wasn't rooted in racism. And I think that, yeah. that that's what makes what was happening here in America so distinct and why it was, it was so important that we abolish it was because it was rooted in this racist ideology that viewed African-Americans as less than. And I mm-hmm. think and I think that that's something that was not present in Old Testament Israel, um, yeah. that was more like, uh, you know, uh, people that were arrested during, or, you know, uh, captured during war. That was people that were, you know, looking for a place to stay and food and lodging. And it was essentially you're working for somebody kind of a thing. And I think mm-hmm. that as Christians, we kind of have to figure out, okay, how do we differentiate between the evils that we had here in America with slavery versus what, what was, uh, described in the Old Testament? Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, if people want to, to dogpile on the law of Moses, you know, those verses you referenced there in Leviticus, then it's not a fair discussion unless you compare it to another legal code of that time period, which is the code of Hammurabi, which preceded the law of Moses by, I don't know, probably around 400 years. It was a, a relatively contemporary legal code, and look at look at that legal code's respect for human rights. You know, compared to what you find in the Law of Moses. You know, for example, um, the Law of Moses talks about you don't punish somebody for a crime without two to three witnesses. Well, look at the Code of Hammurabi. 
Code of Hammurabi says if you want to figure out if someone is guilty, then you throw them into a river. And if they drowned, they were guilty. <laughs> if they survived, then they were innocent. So, you know, you want to start trashing the law of Moses as anti-humanitarian. Fine, let's have the discussion, but let's contemporize it or put it in its proper historical context, I should say. And let's compare, you know, the Code of Hammurabi to the Law of Moses, and you'll see an extremely elevated view of human rights in the Mosaic Law compared to the pagan legal codes, uh, you know, from that time period. And then another thing, you know, you mentioned um, America, the origins of slavery. I mean, my goodness, did the United States invent slavery? Uh Slavery has been going on since the dawn of human history. I mean, go back into the Bible. It was the Jews, you know, that were enslaved for 400 years, which is an awful long time. That's double the length of the United States, roughly. They were enslaved for 400 years, the Jews were, to the Egyptians. And every race has been enslaved by somebody. Uh, I think it was Thomas Sowell that says every race has been involved in slavery or been subjected to slavery at some particular time. So slavery was something that was going on in Europe. And when our forebears came to this country, they brought a lot of that with them. But it's interesting that when you get to the Declaration of Independence, and we declared our independence from Britain, uh, what you discover is, and I was sort of shocked to learn this, that three-quarters of our founding fathers were against slavery. Uh, one quarter was in favor of it. And a lot of them set up, you know, anti-slavery societies or abolition societies. And so I think all that's important to bring up because a lot of people think, Amer you know, I think it was uh, Kane, the guy that was VP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tim Candidate Kane, yeah. with, with uh, Hillary, I guess, right? Yep. Last time around. He said on the Senate floor that slavery, you know, was invented and created completely in the United States. And I can't think of a more, you know, ignorant, uh, uneducated, anti-historical thing to say from an elective representative, someone that was one heartbeat away almost from the presidency, you know, had they won, then that kind of statement. I mean, that's just absurd to say that. Uh, America did not invent slavery. She inherited slavery. And once she declared her independence, a lot of our founding fathers, in fact, the vast majority of them, were against slavery. But they couldn't win that one because if they insisted on that, the Constitution would have never been ratified. So they kicked the can down the road and let a subsequent generation handle the issue, and history proved them right. You know, because the Civil War generation, you know, and the post-Civil uh, War amendments to our Constitution, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, you know, fixed the problem. Yeah. Well, and, and when you think about it, too, uh, you know, slavery was abolished less than 100 years after the founding of our country. Uh, you know, so, I mean, that in, that in and of itself is probably the fastest that any, any country or any society has ever abolished slavery altogether between the founding and uh, actually getting rid of it altogether. And not only that, it's going on today in Islamic parts of the world. So so how come Black Lives Matter is not boycotting these countries where slavery still exists? I mean, why are they trashing all of the time the country that actually did something about it? Well, the issue is 
the you know I think it was Curtis Bowers. You, you know Curtis Bowers, yep. don't you? He t- mm-hmm. talks against uh, communism, and one of his talks, you know, he says the issue is never the issue. The issue is the revolution. In other words, the Marxist will exploit any issue they have to exploit to achieve their greater ga- aim of one world communism. So they really don't care about race. What they care about is using the issue of race to spread communism. And it's like feminism. Uh, They don't care about women's rights either. If they cared about women's rights, they'd be speaking against Islamic countries that are abusing women in in a horrific sense right now as we speak. Uh, What they really – and and if they really cared about feminism, they would be going after Bill Clinton – you know, who, you know, Bill Clinton comes in the room, you know, grab your your daughters and wife, you know, get them get them get them away from the molester, Bill Clinton. I mean, how come uh, Bill Clinton is never called to account for, you know, his trashing of women? Why are they so silent? Well, anybody with two brain cells to rub together can see that they don't really care about that issue. They care about exploiting the issue selectively to topple an existing country and replace it with Marxism. And I wish more people were doing broadcasts like we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So they could see the truth of this stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, and that and that's the thing that's the thing that's so vitally important I think is to, is to be able to have a lot of these kind of conversations and get beyond just the headlines because I think I feel like everybody's just dealing with like the headline that they see on CNN or, you know, on Twitter or whatever it is, and nobody's actually reading the article. Nobody's actually going to looking at the history and the context and in even the Bible and, and what it says about it. And that's why a lot of this kind of stuff is so important. Um, you know, and speaking of high, he- headlines too, one of the other ones I wanted to talk to you about was this, was the, the Supreme Court case, uh, more recently, especially dealing with, uh, LGBTQ issues. Um, and I believe it was dealing specifically with uh, discrimination and hiring and firing practices and things things along those lines. I know I've I've been seeing a lot of you know um, you know Christians have been saying that that it's it's extremely concerning because now it's essentially a persecution against Christian and Christians Christian business owners uh, even Christian organizations potentially. Uh, what's kind of your response to how that all played out with that Supreme Court case? Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Well, I mean, this is an issue that's been going on for the last 45 years. Um, and it really has to do with civil rights, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which everybody agrees with. You should not discriminate against people, you know, based on some immutable characteristic about themselves. 
you know, so to qualify for civil rights protection, historically, you've had to demonstrate four characteristics. Number one, you have an unchangeable characteristic about yourself, like gender or skin color or something like that. Number two, there's a historical pattern of discrimination against you. Women can easily demonstrate that. Blacks in America can easily demonstrate that, etc. Number three, the characteristic, um, you know, is such that it, it can't be harmful. It's something that the legal system would call uh, innocuous. And I had a fourth characteristic there somewhere, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. But you get the gist. And so the issue is, well, well does sexual orientation and transgenderism fit within that historical standard. And we've been debating that for 45 years. And right now they haven't been able to legislatively change the law because they haven't been, they haven't been able to convince everyone that transgenderism and sexual orientation fits the standards of immutability uh, innocuousness, um, a, a historical pattern of discrimination. You know, in fact, the average homosexual couple makes an income almost double that, you know, of a heterosexual couple. And so there's no great discrimination against homosexuals in this culture, you know, at all. In fact, homosexuals are probably some of the most affluent members of society. And think about it, when you have two men in a relationship, a man typically has a higher earning power than a woman, and you don't have any costs for kids or diapers or college tuition. I mean, of course there's tremendous affluence in the homosexual lifestyle. So the homosexual lifestyle doesn't fit the civil rights categories. You know, even beyond that... Um, there's a big debate on if you're homosexual. I mean, let me put it this way. I know people that are ex-homosexuals. In fact, Paul talks about them in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He talks about homosexuality, and he says, such as some of you were. So you can be changed, just like I can be changed from overeating or an anger problem or any other behavior. So homosexuality doesn't fit the standards of civil rights criteria. And that's what everybody's been debating for 45 years. So all of a sudden, the Supreme Court out of the clear blue, and what you have to understand about the Supreme Court is you only need five votes for a majority opinion. And because they're appointed for life, uh, you can't vote them out, you know, if you disagree with them. So they are a branch of government that really shouldn't be there rewriting laws. They should be interpreting what the Constitution says and applying it. And they didn't do that here. In the case that came down, what was it, last week, uh, Bostock versus Clayton County, they looked at that 1964 statute that everybody's been arguing about for 45 years, and they just rewrote it. The end of the debate. And when they do that, then I can't have a say in it. You can't have a say in it. It's t completely taken out of our hands. And so it's tyrannical, you know, what they just did. And it was the four 
there's a block of them on there that always vote liberal, four of them. And they need a Republican swing vote or turncoat or Benedict Arnold, I'll put it that way. And they talked Gorsuch into it along with Roberts. Roberts has given some, some terrible opinions already. You know, he's the one that upheld Obamacare. So those two flipped over and voted with the four-person liberal voting block, a six-to-three decision, and they just rewrote the law. And most evangelical Christians hardly even know, know what just happened. But once you, you know, make sexual orientation and transgenderism, you know, the same, give them the same status as civil rights protection. I mean, look at the lawsuits that can happen against Christian businesses, Christian colleges. Uh, we don't want to hire a cross-dresser. Sorry. Oh, well, you've got yourself in legal trouble now. Because that's the equivalent now of saying, I don't want to hire you because you're black. So it really opens up Pandora's box. And the rioting is going to be over uh, soon, I hope. And Trump, even if he gets a second term, won't be there forever. And the COVID-19 thing is going to go away, I hope. But this, this issue will never go away. And I'm trying to explain why. So it's it's terrible. It's probably the worst decision we've ever had since Roe versus Wade, which did the same thing. You know, the court weighed in on a controversial issue and took it out of the hands of the electorate. And they did it as an unelected, uh, life-tenured member of the federal judiciary. By the way, the Federalist Papers, Federalist Paper number 78, calls the judicial branch of government the least dangerous branch because it was always assumed that they were just going to interpret the Constitution as it was originally written. And that's why they had no problem appointing them for life. And over the course of time, because now they see themselves as amenders of the Constitution without being accountable to the people, they've become the most dangerous branch of government. And so, sorry for the loquaciousness there of my answer but you you no. keep asking these questions that I've, I've been <laughs> stewing on for a while yeah no i mean that that that's the whole that's the whole point of this show is to kind of dive into a lot of this kind of stuff you know and, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think for me too looking at looking at that court decision you know the thing is is that what, what it really comes down to are you an originalist or, or or are you not and i think that that that's really the the deciding factor with a lot of this kind of stuff because I don't think anybody could make the argument that in 1964 they were specifically looking to protect uh, those within the homosexual community from being discriminated against by a business. That that was not the original intent. Right. And so, that, like you were saying, they, they're they're projecting into that law something that was never that it was never intended to be. And again, like you were saying, that's the that's the dangerous aspect of this. So then it's okay. So so now what? Is there any recourse? Is there anything? Is is there anything that Christians can or should be doing in response? Anything that conservative states can be doing in response? How do we fix this mess that we find ourselves in? Well, you can't. It's a done deal. It's over, and that's why I say I think we just lost the culture war. I mean, I wouldn't have any problem if if, if people wanted to amend the statute to include these other behaviors that don't fit the traditional criteria. I guess I could live with it if we actually had a debate about it where I could give my two cents and other people could give their two cents and we could just have it out. We've had that for 45 years and 
their side hasn't been able to prevail. So what they did this time is they just usurped the, the will of the people and rewrote the statute anyway. And, um, you know, Trump has been – and everybody gets mad at me when I say this because it's an election year. And we all need to get behind Trump. And, I, you know, I'm a Trump voter. I hope he gets a second term. But here's the deal. Trump told us he was going to put originalists on the Supreme Court. And he put this guy, Neil Gorsuch, on there. A lot of us had concerns about Neil Gorsuch when he was nominated because Neil Gorsuch in Boulder, Colorado, was a member of a very pro-homosexual very liberal, pro-LGBTQ Episcopalian church. And there happened to have been another more conservative Episcopalian church in town that he could have attended. He didn't attend that. He supported this liberal church with his time and his money. I think he was an usher in that particular church. So that in and of itself raised some suspicions in a lot of us. And we were just told to shut up. You know, go to go to the back of the bus. What are you trying to do? Elect Hillary? You know, and so this guy was really never vetted. And we we all got to get behind Trump, and this is his first pick, and and so we all bought the propaganda. And lo and behold, when this issue comes up, the the opinion that just came out a couple weeks ago, you know, he jumps ship and sides with the liberal voting bloc and changes civil rights in the United States, you know, with the stroke of a pen. So, you know, from that standpoint, you can't do anything about it unless somebody wants to fix the Supreme Court. And there's actually a way to do it. Uh, In the Constitution, the Congress, if they wanted to, could limit the original jurisdiction of the Supreme Court meaning they could tell them you can't hear any more civil rights cases like this. You can't hear any more abortion cases like this. The Congress, if they wanted to, could decrease membership to the Supreme Court, increase membership to the Supreme Court, take away their retirement benefits. Do you think that would get their attention? I think it would. Uh, Everybody's upset about the Ninth Circuit. Congress could abolish the Ninth Circuit if they wanted to. And people say, well, how could that happen with Nancy Pelosi running the House of Representatives? Well, keep in mind that Nancy Pelosi was not running the House of Representatives during the first two years of the Trump administration. And in Republican hands, our Congress did absolutely nothing about this issue. You know why they didn't do anything about this issue? Because if you fix the problem, you lose the campaign issue. Yep. And what they do is they line us evangelical Christians up every single election cycle by saying, gosh, the Supreme Court's going to go to hell in a handbasket if those Democrats get in there. And if they had fixed the problem, they would lose the campaign issue. So there actually is a way to fix this. Uh, The problem is either on the Democrat side or the Republican side, we don't have anybody with a legislative will to fix it. And I'll tell you the guy that explained all this to me. I had lunch with him. And he wrote a, a book about it. Uh, was Tom Delay? Tom Delay is from our area, so I had a chance to eat lunch with them and get into a discussion with him about the Supreme Court. And he's the guy that really told me about this. Uh, in, in I think it's Article Three 
it says that. And so there's a way to fix it. The problem is we don't have anybody on either side of the aisle with the legislative will to fix it. And so what can you do about it if nobody wants to fix the problem? Well, you're stuck living in this oligarchy. Uh, the Greek word oligos is few. Oligarchy means ruled by a few people. And that's exactly what Gorsuch and Roberts and the four liberal members of the court just did to us. They just usurped the legislative function, which, by the way, the Federalist Paper number 47 calls that tyranny when that happens. So we're already in the form of an oligarch- oligarchical soft form of tyranny. And, you know, I would just say, what do we do about it? You can't do anything about it unless you get people in the House of Representatives that want to assert their power and curtail the original jurisdiction of the U.S. Supreme Court and start abolishing lower wayward federal courts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the thing that, you know, like I've been saying for quite a while is that I think that that. What you were saying about how nobody actually wants to fix the problem has yeah. been, in all, in all reality, why I think somebody like Trump has gotten a lot of blowback is because with a lot of these different issues, he came in as like, well, hey, I'm just going to fix the problem. And, yeah. and Republicans and Democrats are like, whoa, wait a second. We need something to campaign on. Like nobody actually wanted to fix the immigration system. They just wanted something to run on. And then all of a sudden he's going to be like, nope, I'm going to build a wall. And everybody's like, you can't do that because now what are we going to campaign on? And so I think that that's something that we need to remember uh, about politics in general is that they don't actually care about fixing it. They just care about their reelection or raising money. Well, the immigration issue, uh, mainstream Republicans love il- uh, illegal immigration just like Democrats because to Democrats, it's more votes. To Republicans, it's cheap labor for our businesses. And so as long as you're dealing with establishment party types – no one will ever fix immigration. And then Trump comes along, and he's a non-establishment guy. And he's independently wealthy, where he's not dependent upon George Soros or whoever to get reelected. And he just wants to do what's right in the in, for the American people. And that's why everybody likes him. That's why I like him and voted for him, even though I thought the Gorsuch thing could have been handled, as I tried to explain earlier, a little better. So Donald Trump is an anti-globalist. He, he, you know, Donald Trump would be loved by everybody if he campaigned on let's make the world a better place or let's make the world great again. But he did not do that. He says let's make America great again. And he's got the resources to make good on his promises because he doesn't need their money. And you're right. He made a lot of decisions that went in the best interest of the country. And so the establishment types hate his guts because of it because they don't want the problems fixed because once they get fixed, then you lose the campaign issue. And I I agree with you 110 percent. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, it's one of those things where I think as people who, you know, who did support Trump and and do at the same time, we also have, you know, it's it's not that he does everything right. Because I think that this these Supreme Court decisions have have shown that, you know, he can definitely do better in picking uh, in justices. And maybe there's too many people talking in his ear and that sort of thing. So I think, again, as Christians and as conservatives, we can't get so caught up in the man. We got to get we got to get focused on the issues and take it yeah. issue by issue kind of a thing. 
Absolutely. Um, I'm actually trying to write a little book right now. It's part of a sermon series that I did in 2016 before the last presidential election, and it's called The Bible in Voting. And when I gave that sermon series at our church, it ran about 14 weeks. You know, I basically said, look, in this series, you're not going to hear me say Republican or Democrat, Trump or Hillary. This is a Bible study, and we're going to do a topical study on on voting. In other words, when you vote for anybody, you know, even if it's for dog catcher, you ought to be screening that person through the lens of your biblical worldview. And so I divided it up into economic issues, uh, you know, cultural, social issues, and then issues related to national defense, trying to show people that God has spoken on these things. And by the way, when God speaks on these things, his word is just as inspired as it is when he talks about how to get to heaven, you know, John 3.16. I mean, that's inspired by God, but when he speaks on political things, that's inspired as well. And the Bible is not primarily a political textbook, but it does brush on political things, just like the Bible's not primarily set up as a scientific textbook or archaeological textbook or history textbook, but it does brush or geography, but it does brush on those issues. And every time it speaks, it's it's just as it's just as inspired and inerrant and authoritative there as it is anywhere else. So I wish that's what people looked at when they went to to vote. I mean, basically, some of the statistics I've read is half of the evangelical world is registered to vote. And then of that number that are registered, half of those actually do vote. And then of those that actually do vote, they're really not looking to the Bible as their authority. They look to how did my parents vote or is my business going to get this new government contract or what tax bracket I'm going to be in or some kind of self-serving end. And I just think the whole country would be different if we showed up every single election looking at God's word, uh, not waiting for Jesus to show up because he's not on the ballot. So we have to, as much as people don't like to hear this, you have to pick from the lesser of of evils uh, because we're dealing with fallen human beings. And so which of these candidates actually lines up with God's priorities and if everybody that names the name of Christ did that, first of all, registered and showed up and did that, I think the whole country would would be different today. Mm-hmm. I think the whole country still could be transformed. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're doing it to ourselves just by not taking advice like we're dispensing here. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's kind of funny too, like, like when it comes, like everybody says like, don't vote for the lesser of two evils and that sort of thing. I always say it's, it's not about the lesser two evils. It's, it's who's closer to God's word, you know, cause nobody's yeah. actually going to be perfect. It's just yeah. which person is going to be closest to God's word. So from that perspective, it's just a different frame of thinking and that sort of thing. Um, one, th- one thing that I always like to do is, you know, kind of leave everybody with something practical. Um, so, <laughs> 
because because a lot of times we get into these philosophical, you know, theological discussions and all that kind of stuff. And so, do you have any like recommended resources or anything like that for people to be, you know, you know, reading or studying up on a lot of this kind of stuff and things that they can kind of take and you know use as a springboard for more study and that sort of thing? Well, you know, I've got that sermon series um, on our website, Sugarland Bible Church, if they're interested in it. Um, I, I, I think um, one of the most important things a Christian could do right now is to understand history. Because I believe America is sort of in the throes right now, the infant stages of what I think is coming, a communist revolution. And I believe it was Karl Marx who said, a people that don't know their history are easily persuaded. And there's a reason why all these guys are running around uh, trashing and vandalizing, you know, all of these historical monuments and things. And so the better you know the Christian roots of the United States, um, the less likely you are to be duped. And so there's a lot of good books out there. Um, I'm thinking of um, The Light and the Glory uh, by the former Senate chaplain. His his name uh, escapes me, but The Light and the Glory is very good. Um, uh, I noticed Brandon House has had Bill Federer on recently. I've been reading Bill Federer's stuff for years. He talks a lot about, you know, the Christian roots of America. I realize David Barton has, you know, some issues theologically, but I think his book, Original Intent, is very well done and very well footnoted. A lot of people were sort of down on his book, The Jefferson Lies. You know, I read that book. I found it to be very helpful. Um, Gary DeMar, uh, who I don't like in the area of eschatology, because he is a dispensationalist hater, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, but he's written some very good, he's basically a, a preterist, anti-Israel reconstructionist. However, uh, he has written some some very, very valuable stuff on American history. He's got a, the God and Government series. So there's a lot of stuff out there that's available for folks just to sort of uh, – Tim LaHaye, of all people. It's funny. Gary DeMar is always accusing Tim LaHaye of neutralizing Christians in the area of politics through his Left Behind series. But one of the first Tim LaHaye books I ever read was called The Faith of Our Founding Fathers, which is another really good book showing the historical – Christian roots of the United States. I'm just of the view that the more Christians sort of mesh themselves in that, the less likely they are to be deceived. You know, the book of Amos talks about a plumb line. Uh, Amos 7, verses 7 and 8. God says to Amos, what do you see? I see a plumb line. A plumb line was basically a line that was always straight, I think because there it was weighted at the bottom. So the plumb line would always be straight. And so you could hold the plumb line up to anything to ascertain whether it was built right or not. So you could figure out if any house or foundation or building was constructed in a faulty manner just by comparing it to the plumb line. The, the, the American history and the writings of our founding fathers rightly understood is the plumb line. You cannot understand if things are crooked unless you understand the plumb line. 
And so the more you can immerse yourself in the Christian roots of the United States, the more you won't be swept into, you know, the, the coming uh, uh, communist revolution in America. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, now, if people want to be following you and, you know, follow like, you know, everything that you're working on and that sort of thing, what are the best way ways for people to be able to do that? Well, the, probably the easiest way is uh, my, my YouTube channel. Um, just, you can, we upload all of our recent teaching on there. We've got about over 500 and something videos on there. And, um, you just type in Andy Woods into your YouTube search engine and maybe pastor's point of view and it'll come up. Um, you can go to our church website where you can get all of our teaching archives going back to 2014 Sugarland Bible Church, www.slbc.org. And you can also go to my personal website, www.andywoodsministries.org. I've got a, a really sharp guy helping me put together an app at the present time. It's not yet completed, but we're hoping to get that completed in the near future. So just keep your eye on the app store. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. Uh, Andy Woods Ministries, it should be there. You know, we're hoping fairly soon. And um, I guess those are the easiest ways to keep up with what I'm doing. Very cool, well, Andy. I, I always appreciate having it on, and you know, and every time I feel I feel like we always dive into you know something, and you know, it it, go, it goes deep, and we dive into the issues. <laughs> it's it's always fun. So, yeah, we might get thrown in jail for this one. I hey, don't know. You you ne- <laughs> you never know. With in today's day and age, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> maybe maybe they'll give us uh, adjacent uh, cells. Hey, that that'll work. We'll do a converse, we'll do a conversations <laughs> with Jeff that way. So that sounds there good. There we go. So. There we go. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We'll definitely do it again sometime. And then uh, for everybody else that's watching as well, make sure you guys like, subscribe, all of that as well. Uh, for more information, you guys can go to gatekeepersonline.com. Uh, we post articles, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. And also for everybody that's watching as well, you know, we we recently we added on uh, Bobby Lopez. He's got a new show, uh, The Big Brown uh, Gadfly. Definitely check that out. Really fascinating stuff dealing with a lot of the current events and all of that. So I highly recommend that one. And then, uh, yeah, we shall see you guys next time. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website 
at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC.